Well, greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We all know that the past month, the Ukraine has been dealing with the Russian invasion, and there's been a variety of reports that have been going on as it relates to what troops, Russian troops, are doing, the casualties that they're uh, incurring, and as well as the Ukrainian. One of the biggest things that I've seen is the mass exodus by Ukrainian people and the just total destruction of cities and just insane kind of bombing of uh, civilian targets. On the line, we have a gentleman who's been with us before, and he's going to give us an update. He's the visiting professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Kansas, and his research interests span civil and interstate conflict. He is a from Russia, and uh, Valerie Tsutsadi, welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. Hello. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you back, Valerie. Uh, a couple questions I have along the way here. I'm sure you might have more uh, general information on, but I'm, I'm going to refer to an article that was recently in the New York Times by Brett Stevens from March the 29th, where he says, what if Putin didn't miscalculate this war, that this was all by design to do something that he did very similar to the Chechens? And what, what is your read on that? I think it's a mis- miscalculation. It's uh, pretty much at this time, it is like a consensus. Pretty much everybody agrees that it was uh, a miscalculation. And we can trace the reasons for that miscalculation because the man was has been in this position, in the position of president of Russia or ruler of Russia, more precisely, for the past more than two decades. And having spent that much time in his position and being an authoritarian ruler, he just stopped listening to sound advice. And again, but there's nothing new about that. Historically, it's not purely Russian phenomenon, of course. Take any like authoritarian uh, leadership, they usually end up in situations like this. How is the Ukraine uh, holding up financially, and how is Russia holding up financially? Yeah, that's a great question. So far, ordinary Russians have not experienced that much of a hardship. So far, it's more difficult for actually for rich uh, Russians, especially those who live abroad. They were close to Putin. They were stripped of the access to their finances in some and some of them were stripped of their other luxury properties and things like this. Ordinary Russians on the contrary, have been relatively okay for now. Why? Because the sanctions that have been adopted, it takes time for them to to start taking effect on ordinary Russians. And also, we must not forget that Russia, to this day, still sells natural gas to Europe, European Union countries, and receives uh, money, payment in hard currency uh, for that gas. Also oil, although there have been problems with uh, selling Russian oil, but China and uh, India perhaps will buy Russian oil. So for some time it will work. But 
But economists predict that in about two, three months, the sanctions will start uh, biting the ordinary Russians level, and then things, things might change. Wow. Uh, for Ukraine, on the contrary, there's been a lot of help, of course, a lot of aid coming from all over the world, especially the West, including the U.S. And so Ukraine has been holding relatively well, actually, except, of course, that its cities and infrastructure have been, you know, methodically destroyed by the Russian military. But on the other hand, European Union countries, they have received like several million Ukrainian refugees. They are taken care care of, which is a, a huge help, of course, for the war-torn country. How much of the war is really known within the boundaries of Russia. I know that they're just getting what I'm going to refer to as state media reports, and which is always going to be questionable because it's filtered. But how much do, does the general Russian populace know about the war and, and the truth about this? Yes, it is a difficult question to probe because, because, as you mentioned, most Russians receive their news about Ukraine, about war in Ukraine from the Russian media which is heavily filtered and heavily uh, redacted. So mostly Russian media does not show the atrocities, the destruction. And when they do show some destruction, they always put blame on the Ukrainian side. They call them Ukrainian nationalists. For example, Mariupol, the southern Ukrainian city that has been practically demolished, a town of about half a million population before war. And, you know, the destruction in Mariupol is blamed on Ukrainian so-called nationalists. So many Russians believe that Russia is doing something noble in Ukraine, liberating, trying to liberate the country from from Ukrainian fascists. And remember, Ukraine, Ukrainian uh, president is actually an ethnic Jewish, Zelensky. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is some opposition among uh, Russians. And it is present, and the government recognizes it officially. So that, for example, in the latest initiative, the speaker of the Russian parliament said that he wanted those Russians who work for the government in any capacity for any government organization, they should step down if they do not support the war effort that Russia is waging in Ukraine. But the thing is that Russia is actually not officially a war. It's a so-called special operation. Officially, there is no war. So it's very difficult to call for the support of war effort when there is no war, actually, you know. It's like an Orwellian world where things are not what they seem to be, and the names do not always reflect what you know what the objects are. So it's a very, very distorted world, I would say. So when there's governmental resignations, because I believe there was recently a resignation by a Russian official who was visiting the West, and then you had the media personality who was, I believe, an editor who had a sign and got on state television behind the broadcast and talking about this. Have those had an impact on people or made them ask questions like what's really going on? Not as far as we can tell, because most recent polls actually showed increasing support of Russians for this 
special operation war in Ukraine. We don't know. But again, how much can we trust these polls, given that polling organizations are also uh, controlled by the government and some people might be afraid to speak their mind. So it's very difficult to measure reliably actual Russian attitudes. I think many Russians still believe that the war is actually going well for Russia. They don't know that actually Russians uh, have suffered a lot of uh, casualties. And most recently, I've seen in the news just now, actually, that after heavy losses, Russian army actually retreated from the surroundings of Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. Yeah, I'm always never sure of who to believe. I know that both sides will engage in a, my words, propaganda campaign to advance their cause, which makes sense completely. And I know Reuters was reporting this morning that the Ukraine actually had an attack on Russian soil near the Ukrainian border and bombed some fuel depot facilities. Will Russia... B- take that as an offensive hit now and retaliate? I know we've heard in the news that, yeah, they were withdrawing, but then they don't withdraw, they bomb some more in in the midst of all this peace talk. Talk a little bit, Valerie, about Ukrainian now taking on a little bit more offensive going into Russia, at least as it's reported. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There has been this report that two uh, Ukrainian helicopters attacked a petrol plant in nearby Russian town. Officially, the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense did not uh, deny it, did not corroborate the report. So far, the Russian reaction has been actually relatively mild, which is a bit strange. I don't know exactly what is going on. And potentially all kinds of things might happen. Because, for example, I'll tell you an example. You mentioned wars, Russian wars uh, in Chechnya. And in 1999, before Russia invaded Chechnya, and destroyed completely all its towns and villages and stuff, there were bombings of apartment blocks in Moscow. And many Russians believed, actually, that it was the Russian security services uh, behind those bombings. And the reason for that was to justify the second Russian-Chechen war. And there is some evidence for that. One of the perhaps primary circumstantial evidence is the fact that those uh, bombings uh, were never investigated properly. And to this day, actually, people in Russia don't know what happened exactly in those bombings. That's interesting. I wouldn't rule out that Russians did it, just cramp up popular outrage or something domestically. Again, I don't know, maybe Ukrainians did it potentially. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't rule out that. But on the other hand, if Ukrainian really did want to attack Russian forces outside Ukraine that they control, they would have attacked perhaps Crimea, which is uh, technically uh, Ukrainian territory, even though Russia annexed it um, eight years ago. Or they would have attacked, you know, some other area in eastern Ukraine that they did not control in in the past eight years. Why would they go to uh, Belgorod, which is the town, the Russian town near Ukraine? But again, I don't know. It could be either way. At, at this point, as you mentioned, both sides, of course, distort the information. But I tend to trust the Ukrainian side a little more than the Russian side. Now, on, as you mentioned about the eastern Ukraine and Crimea, 
the citizens there, at least it was stated by the Russians that they were very, what I'm going to call pro-Russian, especially after the invasion in 2014, and they were they liked Russia being there. Has that sentiment changed since this whole what conflict with the Ukraine has taken place? Are they upset at the Russians for the destruction that they see right. happening? Yeah, we don't know. The short answer is that we don't know, although some circumstantial evidence points to in the direction that they are probably really, really upset about this. Why? Because there have been reports that people from men in particular from eastern uh, Ukrainian regions that were under control of Russia, they were en masse drafted and sent as a cannon fodder to battlefields. And many of them have uh, suffered casualties and stuff like this. So at the point when there is a price to pay for this kind of Russian world, for, the, for being occupied by Russia, then they might be less likely to support this situation, I think. But again, we don't know. War is going on. It's really hard to measure public opinion under circumstances like this. How are republics like Belarus, which is more separate than these other three, the Baltic states, how are they handling this? And what's the feeling going on there? I know Belarus has been a stopping point for the army of Russia to gear up and invade from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So Belarus has played an ambivalent role in this conflict. On the one hand, rhetorically, Belarus, Belarus dictator Alexander Lukashenko, he officially endorsed this war, supported it, although just before the war started, just a few days before, I recall, he was actually predicting that there would be no war. The war is like dangerous thing for him because he's, he's unpopular domestically and his power rests practically on the support by Russia. So if Russia withdraws its support for Lukashenko, financial support, of course, some military support, but mainly financial, then he's doomed. So he's supportive of Russia, but at the same time, so far, the army of Belarus has not taken part in direct part in the war and and it looks like Lukashenko doesn't want to get engaged in this affair in order to save in, in order to save himself politically it is from what we know it, the war is very unpopular in Belarus because for them it's completely alien affair for ethnic Russians there is an appeal kind of an imperial appeal we are like great Russia and we are getting like <laughs> larger our country is great and stuff like this but what is it what is it like and for belarus for, for, for belarusians well there is nothing in it in the in this kind of greater russian empire it's not their empire so why would they support it so we've seen some reports of sabotage actually including derailing of some trains and on Belarusian territory so they they are attributed to some belarusians who are who don't want uh, the war to go on. And there are also reports about Belarusians fighting on the Ukrainian side, volunteers. So it's a, it's a very complicated situation, yeah. It's a very complicated situation. So far, it seems that Belarus will try to avoid getting directly involved, while at the same time, definitely Russians use the Belarus territory to attack Ukraine. Is there 
really any hope or trust to get some of these peace talks off the ground? And after you hear that maybe some of the people who participated were, my words, maybe questionably poisoned or things like that happened, how can the Ukrainian government put any trust in what the Russian government wants to do as far as, quote-unquote, peace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I regard this Ukrainian, at least the efforts on the Ukrainian side, as a pure kind of bow to popular opinion, because the popular opinion, I think popular opinion in Ukraine, of course, wants to stop the war and as soon as possible. So I think they just want to show that they are prepared to negotiate and sit at the table with whomever and have some deal. I don't think Russians, and I don't believe that Ukrainians are so naive that they believe that Russians or Putin's government in particular will agree to anything, at this point at least. Maybe later, at some point, all wars end, of course. But it's very difficult for me to imagine uh, Putin and Zelensky shaking hands under practically under any circumstances. I just can't imagine that that picture. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just... Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree. I'm a little concerned about if the war ends. I see the war going on and on. I'm sorry. But the Russians have just destroyed so much of Ukraine. It's going to have to be rebuilt. And we're all going to chip in to help rebuild it. And I just don't see Russia helping at all to rebuild Ukraine when it's all over. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very tragic situation, of course, and not only for Ukraine, of course, obviously, for Ukraine, and first of all, for Ukraine, because their country is destroyed, their people, their civilians are dying. But for Russia, it is also in a sense that there are so many connections between Russians and Ukrainians. Millions of Russians have Ukrainian friends and uh, family members and all kinds of, you know, connections like on people's level. And, um, and sometimes there are these reports that people, members of the same family sometimes, living in both countries, they disagree with each other about war in Ukraine. And that's, that tells you something about the power of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful. And, and so it's going to be very hard, and it's going to be like really a lot of reckoning mm-hmm. on the Russian side. I, what I, from what I've read, the Russian funds that, have been frozen, the Russian funds abroad that have been frozen might potentially be used to rebuild Ukraine. But again, there should be some legal process. So I can't see those funds going to Ukraine without some sort of an international tribunal or some sort of you know, court uh, legal procedure. Otherwise, it would be just an ad hoc kind of solution. So I don't know. I don't think many people are thinking about what will be after war at this point. They probably should. And we don't see the end of this war yet. No. But I think most accounts suggest it will last uh, for some time, mm-hmm. still, although it's, it's very hard to uh, tell for how long. Probably, hopefully not too long. And then, yeah, and then... We'll see what, I mean, if Russia loses war or, you know, basically if Russia does not achieve its uh, original original objectives, such as controlling Ukraine, if it doesn't capture like a large chunk of Ukraine and keeps it, then it will be a lost war to Russia and first of all to Putin. So Putin will, will probably be gone after that. 
and what will happen to Russia after Putin is gone. Again, it's anybody's guess. Yeah, it's a you know very difficult questions and uh, very few answers. And you're going the direction I want to close with because at the front end of our conversation, you discussed about about Putin and his miscalculation and just a disconnect as being a a, a dic- my words a dictator type. And after several decades in office, he's really lost touch. Is there an off ramp for him? I guess is the first question, and then secondly. What I've seen in other kinds of situations like that in the countries where there is a strong person like that, that ultimately when they, again, disconnect, either the military or somebody else comes in and there is a, my words, a coup or something or a takeover, or that person just goes away. Do you see this happening, Valerie, in Russia, or what, what's his off-ramp going to be? Yeah, so his off-ramp, I don't want to sound as if always lost for Putin. That's not true. Uh, again, I don't know. I have uh, about the same type of information of in terms of military, what is going on the ground there. But from what we know, Russia still controls a large chunk of Ukrainian territory in the east uh, and the south. And one of the plans, plan B for Russia, seems to capture the southern Ukraine and cut off Ukraine from the Black Sea coast and turn it into a a landlocked country, essentially. So that's one plan. It's relatively obvious, and it it has been uh, voiced previously, too. It's not like the first time. So potentially, it's not very difficult to imagine a situation when Russia captures a substantial part of Ukraine and an important part of Ukraine digs in and then offers peace talks and then offers peace talks and then Zelensky will be under pressure should we continue fighting or should we just settle for what we have and then there will be divisions within Ukraine within the Ukrainian political class there will be divisions in the West so that could be a potentially relatively good outcome for Putin, potentially. Again, I don't know whether the Russian army is good enough to carry out a plan like this or, or not. It's difficult to say, but that's one of the possibilities that Putin might survive uh, this uh, crisis, potentially. The other thing, if things don't go as, as expected, uh, then I wouldn't rule out a coup, even though Putin is oftentimes presented some sort of an all-powerful, omnipotent, evil person. He's not, maybe he's evil, but he's not, uh, well, he's definitely evil, but but definitely he's not omnipotent. And he's just popular until a certain moment. And then when the war is lost, then pretty much the end of him. And then there will be a coup. But the problem with the coup is that he will most likely be replaced by somebody from his own entourage so somebody like him right. or very close to him not somewhere not some sort of a democratic opposition or something like this and then it will be still better of course but then still nobody will know what to do next with russia because okay suppose putin is gone but then he's replaced by somebody who is really like him very similar to him 
And then what? After another 10 years, we'll have another world or what? I mean, so it's a, all these difficult questions. I, I don't see much discussion about that, but I think we'll have to deal with this basically one way or another. We want to keep in touch with you to stay on top of this uh, particular situation and appreciate you visiting with us again. We've been talking to Dr. Valerie Tsutati. He's visiting assistant professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Kansas. Valerie, thanks again for coming on St. Louis in Tune. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Strickland.